the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. I have never asked you to trust me. I have always asked you to do your own homework. To take what we say and look it up and use honest questions to find the truth. This may be the only audience in America that has a chance to correct the course because we have been talking to you about something for four years and most people have not paid attention, but the, the time to pay attention is right now. The European far right is coming now officially to CPAC. One hour after our vice president, Mike Pence, leaves the stage, Marion Le Pen, the 28-year-old photogenic it girl from France's National Front, will address the conference. I know Matchlap. I don't know what Matchlap is doing. We've invited him on the program to uh, explain this today. I This encapsulates every reason why I have said if we don't wake up, we are screwed. And I'll come back to that. First, if you don't know who Marion Le Pen is and the National Front... Marion is considered the third Le Pen in France. Her grandfather, Le Pen number one, founded the National Front primary or party primarily as the anti-communist movement. Okay, that sounds great. But Hitler was also an anti-communist movement. So let's be careful here. His platform was extreme nationalism, racism, and full of anti-Semitism. If you're just tuning in, I'm not describing the Nazis. Well, I mean, I, I guess I am. I'm, uh, I'm describing Grandpa Le Pen. He recently called Jews dying in the gas chambers a, quote, minor detail of history. And, quote, France and Russia need to team up to defend the white world, end quote. Now, you can imagine how those views don't go over well with most Frenchmen and shouldn't go over well with any conservatives. Now, Le Pen number two, Marine, Marine took upon herself to polish up the party's image and make them more mainstream. She tuned down, uh, you know, the racist rhetoric. She kept the extreme nationalism, but she turned the national front away, uh, the national front away from free market capitalism and towards socialism. The national front is for a gigantic welfare state. Hmm. Extreme nationalism and socialism. National socialists. Wow, they're very anti-communist. Marine even proposed abortions on tap with full public reimbursement. If you're tuning in, again, I'm not describing the Nazis, kind of. I'm describing France's National Front. Now, their poster girl, Marion Le Pen number three, will actually be on stage this week speaking to conservatives. She is not her watered-down Aunt Marine. She is more akin to the OG, 
Grandpa Le Pen. Grandpa loves her. Now, I've mentioned this before, but this is why we're screwed. The right currently has three sides to it, and no one is actually being honest with you. The left media doesn't care. There are too many people in the right media that also have sold their souls for a ratings point, for a buck, whatever it is. They are unwilling to say unpopular things to the mass. But in dire times, somebody better stand up. I'm hoping it's you. The three sides of the conservative movement right now are those who are drifting to the left through populism. They are now the ones who are seemingly for universal health care. They're seemingly for all of the things that they fought against. But they're drifting there because of populism. Then you have the constitutional minority. The ones who actually believe that classic liberalism is right. That man should be free to decide for himself. And the Constitution is the best framework to make that happen. And then, unfortunately, there are those that are drifting towards the far or alt-right. CPAC is trying to cater to all of them. But that is not what is needed Look at the serious issues that people have been screaming for their government to address. Immigration. Silence from the left. Silence from the mainstream right. Silence from many conservatives. What about the job loss in middle America? Silence all around. We'll play nationalism. We'll point fingers to China. It's ridiculous that the only people giving voice to real issues are people on the far left and the far right. The deafening silence is driving movements like France's National Front to become more mainstream. They're beginning to co-opt what what used to be conservative-only groups. Last year, CPAC invited Milo. I talked to Matchlap. I said, Matt, what are you doing, man? It was a mistake. We got rid of him. Glenn, uh, blah, blah, blah. Matt, I believed you. I believed you. Now this year, it's the National Socialist. It is the National Front. It's Marion Le Pen. Please come on, my friend, and explain this. Because I do not understand what you're doing. I do not understand what a conservative movement in America has anything to do with the European conservatives of France. You are playing in to exactly what people like Alexander Dugan and the world national conservative movement that is funded and run by Russia wants you to do. It was Milo last year, Le Pen this year. What's next? Will CPAC 2019 have Richard Spencer keynote? This trajectory is dangerous and out of control.
the far and alt-right are actively trying to weasel its way into mainstream conservative circles. And because people have not done their own homework, because we all just want to believe that Nazis are a thing of the past, that Nazis are just these little unconnected groups of, of weirdos, you don't see what's happening across the world. The world national conservative movement was started in St. Petersburg a few years ago. People like Richard Spencer and others here in the United States are part of it. The alt-right is a Nazi movement. And we must get away from national socialists. If we do not put our foot down now, if we don't stand for something now, we are in grave danger of losing it all. It's Tuesday, February 20th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. They're going to be friendless. <laughs> you know, it's always going to be a good show when you get the grunting return over the music. Oh. The, uh, just, I, just, I, I don't want to be this guy. I don't <laughs> yeah. want to be the one. Well, you should want to be the guy who calls out uh, national socialists appearing at conservative co- I, uh, I guess I don't want to be the only one. <laughs> right, okay. I don't want to be the only one. <laughs> I mean, I, I am, I'm begging you, please, please. Do your own homework. Go to um, go to YouTube and watch the blackboards that we just did on the 120 uh, hashtag 120 decibel uh, movement. Uh, look at that. It, it'll take you 20 minutes in three quick chalkboards. And you will understand what's happening to us. I want to play something now. I want to play this, and I want you to understand. This has nothing to do with Donald Trump. This had nothing to do with him winning. If anyone, uh, you know, orchestrated things for him to win, here's who orchestrated it. Hillary Clinton for being awful. And Comey for coming out and the last week. And saying, you know, I think we might be looking into dirt. If anyone affected the election, it's Hillary Clinton being awful and Comey of the FBI. The Russians only wanted chaos. In my opinion, Trump was acceptable to them because it wasn't Hillary Clinton and he provided chaos. I do not believe that he was involved with Russia. I do not believe that he even understands the alt-right. But with Bannon and others like him, Russia understood that they understood this national movement and this nationalism that is spreading like poison all around the world. National socialists. We want big state big spending, and nationalist values. 
It's trouble. It is trouble. I want to play some audio for you. Donald Trump is is not recognizing the fact that we are under attack. I can't do anything about Donald Trump. I can't do anything about the government. But I can do something with CPAC. I can stand up and say no national socialists. No nationalists. It's dangerous. What is a conservative? If you're a populist, then I don't want to be a conservative. If you're a nationalist, I don't want to be a conservative. If you are a constitutionalist, somebody who believes in the rights of man, then I'm a conservative. But I don't know what a conservative means if you're bringing in Le Pen. Alexander Dugan is a is a man we have told you about. And quite honestly, every time I bring him up, it's like when I was bringing up Woodrow Wilson at the very beginning and everybody had an eye roll. I'm going to play some audio that we have played before. But what he says at the very end of this video is crucial to understand. Our republic is at stake. Someone must stand to defend the Constitution of the United States because we are under attack from a foreign power. And CPAC is playing into it. I'm going to play this audio for you. And if you happen to be watching the Blaze TV, I want you to watch because of the video that it is attached to. It was recorded with Red Square in the background. And they tell us exactly what they're going to do in the last election. Next. I want to tell you about uh, Car Shield. Car Shield is something that I have on my uh, uh, on my trucks. I have a couple of trucks, and uh, they're just you know they're old beaters. I shouldn't say that. We take we take really good care of them, um, but they're you know what I think ten years old now. Jeez, they're ten years old, and you know they don't have warranty on it. And now is the time that things start to get really expensive. You know, like, God forbid, the transmission goes or anything goes. So there was a sensor that went on one of them. And it was like a thousand dollars. You're like, yeah, that's, that's crazy. This is why I have car shield. If you have a car that is out of warranty, get yourself covered. Get yourself covered by car shield. It's affordable protection that can save you thousands of dollars for a covered repair. Fuel pump, 500 bucks. Water pump, a thousand you need to repair a control arm or a torque converter, whatever the hell that is. Some of the stuff I've never even heard of, uh, but my wallet has heard of it. They have plans that will cover your car's computer, GPS, electronics, everything. Car Shield, the ultimate in extended coverage, and you can get your favorite mechanic to do it or the dealership. And they're paid directly so you don't have to wait for the, uh, for the check to come. They pay it. 
Sign up today, get 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is in the shop. Save yourself from the high repair bills. Get covered by Car Shield before something goes wrong. Call 1-800-CAR-6100. That's 800-CAR-6100. Mention Beck, or you can visit uh, carshield.com and use the promo code Beck. You'll save 10%. That's carshield.com, promo code Beck. Deductible may apply. Glenn Beck Mercury. Gun control works in other countries. 40% of all guns are sold without background checks. More guns means more murder. Mass shootings are becoming more common. You've heard all these lines a thousand times. Know the facts. Get control. Exposing the truth about guns on Amazon and wherever books are sold. National Socialists take guns away from people. I want to play. There's an identitarian movement that is going on, and it is something you need to educate yourself on. The identitarian movement. It is a movement about identity. It is a movement about white people stay over here and and black people stay over here and Jews. I don't know where you go. It's very dangerous. And it is all part of what's called the fourth political theory, which is poison. And it is taking root in uh, Europe and it is being well financed and funded by Russia Alexander Dugan is the author of the fourth political theory. You may hear him if you ever listen to Alex Jones because they embrace him. Um, um, uh, What's his name? Steve Bannon embraced him as well. He's extraordinarily dangerous. If you want to know, was was Russia involved in the Trump campaign? I don't think by by Donald Trump's understanding of it at all. But Dugan, listen to Alexander Dugan, where he spoke with Red Square behind him. Trump is the voice of the real right wing in America, which, in effect, doesn't care about foreign policy and American hegemony. It only cares about the Second Amendment and the good old traditions of the single-storied or at least two-storied America, a predictable way of life on the range and expressing freedom wherever they like, but not how the liberals prescribe it. It is nice America, often religious, sometimes silly, preconceived, unpretentious, just ordinary people without any special talents, but also without perversions. There are few people of this kind in the American elite, or perhaps none at all. Trump is an exception, a normal American among the elitist circus. This is first truly interesting election campaign. It shows that America is on the brink of a revolution, especially if the elite won't give the power to people. Goodbye. You've watched Dugan's guideline on Super Tuesday. I've got a feeling that the liberals themselves won't leave the US and the humanity alone. We should help them to do that. So go ahead, Mr. Trump. In Trump, we trust. Did Trump even know about this? Nope. Nope. Did Bannon? Yeah. Did Flynn? Probably not. 
he said some amazing things there. And you can hear, if you could understand him, you can hear why his fourth political theory actually connects with people. But there was one thing that he said that sticks out. And I'll share that when we come back. Glenn Beck, Mercury. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. So I just played some Alexander Dugan. Um, and look, you're going to hear a lot of people say nationalism is good. Globalism is bad. Uh, no, uh, the globalist movement where we're all exactly the same. That's bad. I, I, I'm, I'm American. I want to be American. You're Mexico. You should want to be Mexico. Canada should want to be Canada. We can trade with each other, but we don't have to be all exactly the same. <laughs> that that's the problem when governments get out of control they try to make everyone the same that's the problem we're all different we should be different italy should be italy now can you trade with each other yes but trying to make everything homogenous is not good but extreme nationalism is also very unhealthy The, the movement that is underfoot now to poison the conservative movement and to make us truly European conservatives is underway, and its architect is Alexander Dugin in Russia. Did you notice that he said, when we played this audio a minute ago, at the very end, before he said, in Trump we trust, he said, we should help them do it. Give the people power. We should help them do it. He's speaking to his world conservative movement. What does that mean? That means sow the seeds of discontent. Sow the seeds against uh, the media, against the governments, against any, anyone he deems an oppressor. Well, just because a government is out of control does not make it oppressive. It just makes it too big and can be reduced. That's not what Dugan is looking for. The national, the, the um, national Front, which their spokesperson is going to be speaking at CPAC, wants a France-Russia alliance. That's a pretty big change and not necessarily a good one. That they've described Putin as the religious defender of European Christianity. That's a problem. What does it mean to be a conservative anymore? I'm not sure. We've been working with young voices. And there is a contributor to the Lone Conservative, and he has written an article 
um, for Glenbeck.com. I'm going to butcher his last name. Uh, Morishanu. Alex Morishanu. Did I get that right, Alex? Sorry. Yeah, you got it. You oh, got it, actually, Glenn. Shut up. Um, so, Alex, you wrote this great article uh, on the things that um, uh, that young conservatives, millennials, will love that only conservatives can do. So let me start, before we get into some of those, let me start with this. What is a conservative today? Well, what is a conservative today might be a complicated question, as I think you've well discovered it throughout the show so far. But uh, I would say, to me, uh, a conservative, what a conservative should be is someone who believes in, to quote uh, Barry Goldwater, the maximization of human freedom. I think that should be the guidepost of how we think of conservatives, that you know, people should be able to, to chart their own course and uh, live their life as they see fit. Are you concerned, Alex, or do you see any, anybody your age concerned about this new movement towards the alt-right? Yeah, yeah, I know a lot of people, uh, uh, my Republican or conservative, a lot of them don't call themselves Republicans anymore, uh, friends uh, are, are very concerned about this sort of rising tide of sort of, quote, unquote, national populism or whatever. I think yeah. there are a lot of people who are concerned about this. Uh, you're not alone, Glenn. Okay, so so Alex, take it through the article, because please read the article at glenbeck.com. Uh, it, it's really, really good. You're bringing up things that are so important that conservatives should be talking about. For instance, freeing people from occupational licensing. Yeah, and so I think occupational licensing is a good way to get it in with uh, millennials. I mean, obviously, millennials at this point aren't, aren't you know, marching for occupational licensing reform. But I think occupational licensing, uh, for those who don't know, uh, there are requirements that the government mandates that you need a license to perform 30% of jobs in the United States. Um, and theoretically, it's for public health purposes. But uh, the real reason why there's occupational licensing is just to drive up the wages of current license holders at expense of the general population. Uh, according to the National Bureau of Economic Research, it costs $200 billion a year in GDP. Mm. And that mostly comes out of um, lower income people because these are people who are being forced out by the government due to these uh, barriers to entry and they can't find the jobs that would get them into the middle class. And so I think bringing up this issue with a lot of young people uh, would be good because young people care about sort of equality of opportunity or, or uh, you know, better wages and better living conditions for the poor. And so I think bringing these up, this is an example of a policy of government regulation that specifically hurts the poor. And so I think if you focus on occupational licensing, you introduce a lot of young people to the value of limited government, while at the same time appealing to their own moral sensibilities. Do you have any idea? I mean, it takes less time to earn an EMT license than to become a licensed manicurist, as you write in your article. Can you tell me, uh, what is the, I understand even you know, barber, you're using a straight edge razor. Okay. We should probably get to make sure that you know how to use that. Um, the, uh, the florist, how is, why do I have to have a license to be a florist? Any idea? Well, I mean, I, it's, it's like a lot of government regulations, you know, they're, they're supported by specific interest groups. I mean, that's the origin of a lot of regulation, you know, the history of, of government regulation in the United States, uh, and there was this study done by the Institute for Justice, I believe, which is a legal advocacy group that um, showed that they compared. So licensing tends to be done at the state level. Mm -hmm. And so they compared uh, a florist 
in a state in uh, Louisiana where florists have to be licensed and the works of florists in Texas where florists do not have to be licensed. And to a like panel of judges, no one could tell the difference between the unlicensed florist mm. and the licensed florist. Uh, so that's a really good example of how yeah. there's clearly no reason for these uh, regulations. The next thing that you say that uh, conservatives can take on to appeal to millennials is is something I think really important um, but misunderstood, and that is incarceration. Take on the prison system. Yeah, so I think a lot of conservatives, especially young conservatives, I know, are already very much on board for criminal justice reform. But I think the sort of way to bridge the gap between a lot of sort of older sort of law and order type conservatives and younger, uh, more reform minded people is to think about recidivism. So in the United States, the recidivism rate, which means the rate of people who leave prison who enter back into the system um, is extremely high. It's like 76 percent over the first five years. And so um, that means that you're instead of having sort of people who go to prison for a few years and then come out and then are readjusted to society, you end up having people who haven't learned any skills, who haven't adjusted socially, who are just going to end up going back to whatever criminal activities they were doing beforehand because they can't enter the workforce. And so focusing on once people get out of prison, um, introducing them back into the workforce, uh, which is, you know, A, that means lower spending on uh, prison um, on incarceration, as well as, um, you know, a better economy if, if they can get out and enter the workforce. Alex, you also take on uh, higher education. Is that something that millennials will get behind? Yeah, I, I think so. So the example I used in the article was uh, Mitch Daniels at Purdue University. Mitch Daniels, the uh, great former governor of Indiana uh, and office of management budget, budget director, um, he, when he took charge of Purdue University, he uh, froze tuition and um, managed to compensate for that by slashing administrative spending. Now, um, administrative spending, according to the uh, known right-wing rag, the New York Times, um, has been the leading driver of the drastic higher education cost inflation. Um, over the past 20 years, administrative spending is up 60%. Versus instructional spending, which is only up 6%. Wow. Uh, and so Mitch Daniels, he went after administrative spending, hasn't increased tuition in, uh, I believe, six years that he's been, have been there. A- applications have skyrocketed. And um, he's also introduced a lot of new technical options, shorter ways to graduate, online options, which is sort of good, innovative mm-hmm. uh, policy. And applications have skyrocketed. So clearly... Uh, millennials have responded to these policy changes. Talking to Alex uh, Morishanu, he is um, with um, youngvoicesadvocate.com, and um, uh, we are seeing now a a movement of high school kids that say they're going to march on Washington to have guns repealed uh, and our gun rights repealed. What, What do you think the approach to millennials should be from people who understand the second amendment? Um, I think the key is not to go after these kids personally. I mean, just separate yourself, separate from politics, going after someone who experienced a mass shooting less than a week ago is just very, um, I think gross and wrong. Um, But I think the key is when you're approaching a lot of these issues is to talk on the policy level. Don't 
sort of attack people either like for being millennials uh, or, or, or go after them personally or just focus on um, just focus on rebutting their points and then presenting your own solutions. I know National Review has had a lot of good articles recently about alternative solutions to gun, contr- uh, to, to gun violence that don't infringe on the Second Amendment. Um, I think that is a smart way to go about it and just have sort of a reasonable case. Don't make it don't make it personal. And um, yeah, I, I heard some somebody said to me yesterday that they um, and it, they said it may just be from reading social media, but I have in fact, I think it was Stu. Uh, I have less faith in humanity um, and our ability to escape doom uh the more i listen to people on facebook and social media um i have faith every time i speak to a millennial uh and i and i really listen to them but i hang out in you know circles that kind of generally are people like you um when you see the general uh, population of millennials do you have optimism I mean, it depends who I'm talking to, but uh, I mean, I, I would say, I mean, I would say that, uh, you know, I, I think there's always a chance. I don't, I don't think that uh, generations' opinions are, are frozen in stone. That's not a phrase, but anyways, um, I think there's a lot of room for conservatives to actually make a case to millennials um, in a way they haven't done before. I think a lot of what conservatives are doing is is often spending a lot of time trying to rebut or debunk sort of progressive ideas about universal health care. But I think what, if we put forward our own positive message, rather than just being sort of anti-socialism, uh, uh, I think that would be a, a good way to sort of change the game with millennials. And I think, there, I, I think there's, always, there's always hope, you know? Great. Thanks, Alex. Alex Mirashanu, uh, who's uh, got a, the article on glenbeck.com. You can check that out there. Uh, he's on Twitter, and his last name's hard to spell, uh, so that's why his Twitter name is A Hard to Spell. Is ah. actually, <laughs> or you can get him on Twitter, A Hard to Spell. Uh, and the, the article is up at glenbeck.com. Three problems only conservatives can solve that millennials will love. Maybe we should start listening more to millennials. All right, if you're hiring. Every business needs great help, it, it's, it, but it's hard to find. It's really hard to find you because you want to find that one person that really gets it, really connects with what you're trying to do. Well, there's a better way to find them, something better than just posting your job online and then praying that the right people see it. It's ZipRecruiter. They knew that there was a smarter way. They built a platform that not only posts on all of the job uh, searching platforms, but it goes out and finds the right job candidates for you. So ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for. It identifies the people with the right experience and then goes out and invites them to apply for your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you can uh, find your next hire. 80% of everybody who uses ZipRecruiter gets a quality candidate through the first day. Now, ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They, they, they highlight when you get this, you know, you get, you're hopefully going to get a lot of people that are responding but they will spotlight the strongest applications that you receive so you'll never miss the you know the great match they make sure that you see this one is really good 
So find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified candidates with immediate results. You can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. Find the right person quickly. ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. Glenn Beck Mercury. There is a book that I uh, just finished reading last night that is really, really fascinating. Um, It's called Hitler's Monsters, A Supernatural History of the Third Reich. Um, It was written by Eric Kurtlander, and um, he spent years doing research, and nobody has really taken this seriously. People say all the time, oh, you know... Uh, you know, the Nazis, they were Christians. No, 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 they weren't. No, they weren't. In fact, he has done the research and gone through all of the connections, all of the books, all of the papers, um, all of their edicts, and traced it back to what their real philosophy was and what they really believed and what they were and what some of them were just merely using. And that is the occult and border science and astrology and um, myth. It, it's amazing. It's truly amazing. You'll, this is the, the real Indiana Jones, the real um, uh, Captain America kind of stuff that you see. This is the proof that that stuff actually did happen um, in real life just differently than what the cartoons have made it into and steven spielberg he is coming up next and an interview you do not want to miss hitler's monsters next glenn beck mercury love courage truth glenn beck we should listen and respect those who have um, who have lived through a mass shooting, especially after they have gained perspective. Patrick was a sophomore at Columbine High School when Dylan Klebold and Eric uh, Harris massacred their classmates. He was one of the lucky ones. He walked away with his life that day, and he vowed that he would live a life of service because God had granted him that blessing of living. So Patrick went on to join the army. He served a tour in Iraq. When he came home, he was elected to the Colorado State House of Representatives, where he served his constituents since uh, 2014. Every year since he was elected, Patrick has introduced legislation to remove the restrictions on concealed carry in school. In the wake of the Stoneman Douglas shooting and the renewed call for gun control, Patrick is pushing his legislation just as hard. Under the current Colorado law, anyone who has a concealed carry permit may bring firearms onto school property, but you have to keep them locked inside their vehicles. That's a quote from the law. Patrick says that doesn't go far enough. His act would allow every law-abiding citizen who holds a concealed carry permit the right to defend themselves and others at all times. Patrick says, time and time again, we point to one common theme with the mass shootings. They all occur in gun-free zones. As a former Columbine student who was a sophomore during the shooting on April 20th, 
1999, I will do everything in my power to prevent Colorado families from enduring the hardships that my classmates and I faced that day. People are arguing, and we're going to continue to argue. More guns equals more violence, but they forget that the vast majority of guns are in the hands of responsible and good people. There was a coach last week that stood in the way, used his body to block. If he had a gun, how many could he have saved? He died a hero, but many died after him. The reality is, we are bringing nothing to a gunfight with evil every single day. Perhaps we should have this conversation, but we should listen to all sides so we can give ourselves and our children a chance with an equal contender. It's Tuesday, February 20th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. If you uh, listen at all to the uh, program, you know that I I read an awful lot, um, and I can go through I can go through two or three books uh, a week pretty easily. And I thought I would devour this book by Eric Kurtlander, uh, Hitler's Monsters, but this has taken me about a month to get through, mainly because I get sidetracked and start looking up the things that he is pointing out because you've never heard any of this before and it will give you a couple of things a new look on what allowed the nazi movement to really grow and grow deep roots for a while um and also the fact that no uh-uh now, this was not a Christian movement, which a lot of people like to say, National Socialism, Hitler was a Christian. No, uh-uh. no, no, that was not a Christian movement. Um, the only guy that has done serious work on the supernatural history of the Third Reich is Eric Kurtlander, uh, and he joins us now. And I, I, I want to make sure that you understand that this isn't some guy who's just like, I just did some research. Uh, he has his Ph.D. of modern European history at Harvard from Harvard M.A. Modern European history, Harvard B.A. history uh, at is it Bodoin College? I, I'm not familiar with Bowden. that. One. Bowden it's, College, it's sorry. Belgian Bowden, yeah. Belgian, okay. Well, welcome. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of this book, uh, and thank you for how many years did it take you to compile all this? Well, thank you, Glenn, for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. I um. I watched the show many years ago when Robert Galately, uh, one of my colleagues at mm. Florida State University, was on. I yeah. think in a book comparing Hitler, Stalin, to Mussolini, and I appreciated the way you brought in uh, academic historians into your um, conversation. Thank so, you, thank so you, thank you for having me on. Um, and like many academic monographs, it took me a good eight to ten years from conception to going to archives and doing the due diligence, reading other people's work, and then finally starting writing, presenting it, and eventually deciding I had a critical mass of information to make my arguments. And it doesn't mean that there isn't going to be a reviewer somewhere who's like, well, you know, you could have looked at that or this, but as you point out, it's pretty dense already. I mean, at some point, you've got to say, enough, you're ready, yeah, and, uh, uh, and get it out there. There's a couple of things, and, and, and I want you to kind of lead this uh, a bit, but I, I, I want to ask you a couple of questions up front um, that I think show the depth of your research. One, 
Um, you went and this fascinated me. You went to the detail of looking at books that Hitler had collected and had read and you looked for things he underlined. And there were a couple of things uh, that that you talked about. And I can only find one of them now uh, as I was looking this morning. Uh, but one that he underlined uh, was uh, horror always lurks at the bottom of the magical world and everything holy is always mixed with horror. This comes from uh, a book called Magic in 1923. He underlined this. And he, he, there was also another quote about something about a truly great man has to have the seeds of a demon inside of him that he did underline the other quotes from a page that he had underlined but he hadn't underlined that particular quote um and i want to be very clear about this because this is a important methodological point um a fellow historian a journalist who writes history found the book in the library of congress where we have uh hitler's library and it seems to be uh, underlined and annotated in the way that hitler had annotated other books we're not a hundred percent certain he read and annotated it but he's the most likely suspect so i use this book to represent, you know, a kind of uh, the cultural milieu in which he may have been thinking, because it seems that he read it. And then I, I tie in other sources that talk about Hitler um, seeming to, you know, be interested in parapsychology, magic, e- even if he just thinks it's a way to manipulate people and not an actual force in the universe. Um, he clearly was involved in that kind of milieu that's the point i'm making and it does appear that he underlined 66 passages in that book but as someone who is not i'm not a specialist in handwriting um i don't know for certain that he did i just want to put that out there so eric um the other thing that i i thought would be important to um start with to show the depth of your research was um the i mean you go back into the 1800s and you're really trying to lay out the mindset of of germans at that time um and i was not aware and you talk a lot about the films that were made uh the silent films in the teens and the 20s and i went back and i don't remember which one i watched but i watched one of these silent films um uh that you pointed out in your book and it is terrifying and it is it it the 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 distortion of the Jew into a monster or later Nosferatu, the vampire is is terrifying that that went on so long without the Nazis. Right. So a number of film scholars and literary scholars have argued that Weimar, because of all the trauma it went through, the way that people in Weimar processed it was by through horror, through expressionism, through very kinds of avant-garde artistic um, um, media that were, you know, channeling a kind of return of the repressed, right? And I try to show the ways in which um, certain images, monstrous images of the other, right? Jews, Slavs, communists were portrayed in, a, in not an empirical way. Here's what's going to happen to the economy if finance capital does that or the communists do this, but in a, in a metaphysical or yeah. supernatural way, right? And, that's, and I'm trying to show how that culture precedes the Nazis. It doesn't mean everyone who watched horror movies was a Nazi, but their way of processing trauma and crisis, um, I argue, was influenced by a, a kind of supernatural thinking. How much, um, uh, how much of this came from the 
the churches, uh, I know the churches in the West, in, in England, et cetera, et cetera, many of them were really damaged because of World War I. Um, and the people were kind of shook uh, from that, and they kind of started to see, wait a minute, the church is just really kind of a political organ here. Um, how much of this return to magic um, uh, in Germany came from the churches uh, kind of selling out or, or not being what churches should be? It's, that's an excellent question, and you're not going to want me to get into too much detail here. But what I will say is I point out in Chapter 1 that Max Weber, the famous sociologist who was alive at the time, said, clearly the traditional churches in the wake of hyper-industrialization, even before World War I, and science, are no longer providing the kind of answers for a lot of people, a lot of younger people living certainly in cities that they used to provide. And yet, with this disenchantment of the world, right, people still need something higher than themselves. They need faith in something. If science isn't going to do it and traditional religion doesn't do it, what's in between? Well, New Age religion, occultism, these so-called border sciences that claim to explain everything, like world ice theory, but really can't be proven empirically, that's a vehicle for faith, Pulp fiction, science fiction. And we see that across the West after the 1890s and especially after World War I with the decline in traditional religion. We even see some of the Catholic and Protestant um, leaders trying to tap into that more grassroots, supernatural um, uh, way of thinking. But, but what I argue, and I guess this is something that, as you point out in the intro, it would be reassuring for you as, a, as someone who believes in the Judeo-Christian ethos in the West, it's usually the, to the degree that they move away from that, that they're open to these new ways of thinking. Um, I don't find a lot of devout Catholics and Protestants who, who, like, who believe in world ice theory, for example. Right. Um, but it, they're compatible because they're both faith-based ways of thinking. But I do think you've got to take a step away from traditional religion towards what I would call border science or occultism in order to find that as your kind of new religion, right? So you're right that, that while the churches may have made certain concessions to it or, sure. like you say, become too political, I don't think that Christianity per se was a bridge to this kind of thinking. Um, and I don't mean it exactly that way. I mean, the absence of uh, right. that thinking uh, led people to go find something that was different and, and worked. Um, uh, I, I want to have you explain uh, border science and, and things like that um, when we come back and kind of get in and set the groundwork of what they actually believed and what they used i mean the idea that they were using astrologers and divining rods to to find submarines is is amazing and uh, eventually the the miracle weapons that they were going after and the reason why possibly they did not get the bomb is is an is an amazing revelation and we'll get to that here in just a second The book is Hitler's Monsters, A Supernatural History of the Third Reich. Eric Kurlander is the artist, if you're uh, author. If you're the uh, a fan of like those you know, incredible, crazy you know documentaries they've made it, on this topic, no, this goes much, much further. Oh, and much. It, f- and it explains it with real credibility. Yeah. Um, this is this is Indiana Jones and the you know Holy Grail and the <laughs> Last Crusade. Uh, it is uh, it's uh, you know the, the Ark of the Covenant and 
and Captain America. But it's the real stuff. Mm. It's amazing. Markets are beginning to a price for a potential interest rate hike in uh, March. That's why you're seeing the stock market down a bit. Uh, it's likely to happen in March, then in June, and possibly a third in December, especially after the market correction concern about inflation. So this is a reason to be um, really, really vigilant when it comes to your finances, especially with market rates uh, uh, hiking on interest. You, you do you have a do you have a um, uh, adjustable mortgage? The lower interest rate you can lock into now, the greater your savings. So if you have a higher interest rate, please check with American Financing now and see if you can get into a lower rate. If you have a, an adjustable rate. For the love of Pete, get a locked-in rate now with American Financing. They'll give you straightforward, effortless mortgage experiences. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call them, 800-906-2440. That's 800-906-2440 or online at AmericanFinancing.net. Incorporation, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. We have um, Eric Kurtlander on. He is the author of a book, uh, Hitler's Monsters. This is a serious scholarly book about the supernatural history of the Third Reich and and what they believed and what they used. Um, uh, Eric, help me out. Let's get a couple of definitions. What define the occult? What does that mean? Is that devil stuff? Right. So I started out thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to look at occultism, whatever that means. And then I realized that occult is a pretty specific meaning for, for scholars. It's things related to demonology, um, witchcraft, um, certain uh, what I later call border sciences, but really that are linked to things like astrology and dowsing um, and doctrines like ariosophy or anthroposophy. These are also things that usually come under the umbrella of occultism, something that's between religion and science and, and will help you uncover a secret world or a hidden world, right? That's where the, the term comes from. Pretend, um, pretend I read the book, but still could not get my arms around the osophies can you right can you define those excellent question and and and, and again th- these osophies are larger doctrines which supposedly explain the world um, in ways that traditional religion and science can't, because they integrate both. So theosophy, which Madam Blavatsky, a Russian thinker in the mid to late 19th century, came up with, is this idea that um, if you study the religions of the East and the kind of practices of the East and unite it with Darwinism um, and, and evolution, you can come up with a, a syncretic doctrine that explains all of world history. So she came up with this idea of root races, the most superior of which um, lived in Atlantis um, millennia earlier, maybe mated with extraterrestrials. And then these other races, which had various qualities. You know, the early theosophists were not as explicitly racist as the later anthroposophists or ariosophists, obviously with Arian in the title. But they all believed in this idea of root races that, that modern biology and Darwinism makes sense, but it's got to be leavened with Eastern philosophy and religion. 
um, and that you can understand the stages of world history through that. And if you reverse engineer everything, you can get back in touch both spiritually and racially with the, the great root races of the earlier period. And so much of what they were doing was having seances and following certain doctrines to, to try to get back in touch with humanity when it was at its highest point. You can see why that was attractive to some Central Europeans yeah. in the folkish movement, the more racialist political movements and anti-Semitic movements, because it in a way justified their view of the world. So, Eric, um, I just want to go back. I was I was interested to read how much they were into Eastern religion. And I can't remember. Was it was it Himmler that carried around the sayings of Buddha in his pocket? Yeah, the, the Bhagavad Gita. It's not exactly the same thing, but yeah, uh, Himmler, Hess, Rudolf Hess, the deputy Führer, Walter Dare. These were um, uh, this, this would not be something that people would expect. No, and but it makes perfect sense when you think about what is their larger view of the world. Why do they use the swastika, which is an Indo-Aryan fertility symbol, right? Right. Because in their mind, coming out of this 19th century supernatural imaginary, the first chapter, they recognize that the, the great races and civilizations, and of course we don't have scientific evidence for this, but this is their view of the world, all came from these Indo-Aryan races, which may have developed in Atlantis or, what, or the, the Hyperborea, some ancient Aryan or racially pure Atlantean civilization, but at some point, because of a flood or giant blocks of ice, did migrate east, thereby populating India, uh, East Asia, Japan. And the reason all these superior civilizations occurred is because of the leadership of the Indo-Aryans, for whom the symbol of the swastika is the you know and the religion of tibet why tibet well it's a high point where we, in a flood a lot of the high priests of aryan religion could have fled and then they're trying to reinscribe those ideas back into their view of nordic race and religion in the 20s and 30s so that's kind of their view of the world. So it's not that odd. They just skip over the Slavs and Jews, yeah. right? Because those, <laughs> those are subhuman races or Africa. Yeah. All right. But, for, but Asia makes sense to them. We're, uh, we're talking to Eric Kurtlander. He is the author of Hitler's Monsters. Uh, it is a scholarly book on the, uh, the supernatural uh, leanings of the Third Reich and what... What was in the society that made them embrace Nazism? And what did the Nazis use to strengthen that embrace? Glenn, More in a second. Back. Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck Program. There's a book that is a must read, um, but I warn you, it, it's going to take you a while just because it's so fascinating. You will jump out of the page and go, wait a minute, I've got to look that up. Uh, it's called Hitler's Monsters, Eric Kurtlander, A Supernatural History of the Third Reich. This is a scholarly book. This is not a, you know, this is, this is not pulp fiction. Um, it is uh, a, a deep dive uh, and well-documented on what the Nazis believed and what they did. And Eric, I want to clarify one thing with you that I didn't, I, I didn't walk away knowing for sure, um, and maybe you don't know the answer. How much of this did they believe or make a pact with, and how much was just being used? That 
that became a central question for me as I was going through different sources. So one thing I can say, Heinrich Himmler, Rudolf Hess, um, believed, truly believed in a lot of these different doctrines, border sciences like parapsychology, dowsing, um, astrology. They truly believed that if you did it in a scientific way, you could glean answers that mainstream science and religion would not give you. So he was looking into the whole, uh, Himmler was looking into the Holy Grail. Uh, yeah. He was at the end, he was, he was, I guess you could credit this to um tesla but i'm not sure if he credited it more to tesla or to thor's hammer uh i mean exactly which which was it was it tesla or was it he believed the thor hammer electricity in the air we have the i mean peter longerish one of the greatest historians of the third reich and the holocaust and other sources both corroborate him asking um, his acolytes to look into whether the energies that we associate with Thor's hammer can be somehow harnessed, that maybe they're not traditional scientific energies, but something more um, occult or hidden. And that's why certain of the gods had certain powers. He thought he was a reincarnation of um, Otto the Great, or Henry the Fowler, I'm sorry, one of the great um, medieval German princes. Many people have noted Himmler's actual investment in these ideas, as well as Hess. What I find, though, and that's where the real debate comes, is that many other Nazis, Otto Ohlendorf, who led the Einsatz Group to kill thousands of Jews, he was seen as a kind of one of these technocrats, highly educated. Turns out he was pushing um, biodynamic agriculture and anthroposophic which is an occult doctrine, um, approaches to the world as a kind of, not a substitute religion, but as a, something that could unite religion and science in the Third Reich. He's not normally associated with those ideas. Hitler had a dowser in the Reich Chancellery to look for cancer-causing death rays and gave an honorary degree to one of the progenitors of world ice theory. Some um, people, some, some in the Third Reich said that they found Mussolini through divining rods or, or, uh, or dousing over a map. And you document yeah. that really well. Did, did Hitler believe that stuff? So I would say Hitler is... He's perfectly representative of the of the Nazi movement and maybe Austro-German society. He's right in the middle. He clearly believed in some of these doctrines because he'd grown up with them, and he didn't find traditional Catholicism compelling, and he didn't embrace modern science because he considered it a Jewish science and was too empirical. But he was he wasn't as invested as some other Nazis were, like Himmler or Hess. On the other hand, there were a few Nazis like Heydrich. He's one of the only leaders I can find who almost never shows authentic investment in any of these ideas and wants to combat them as another form of sectarianism. So he doesn't care what religion, occult, or philosophical doctrine you have, whether you're a liberal, communist, or even a conservative. If you're not a Nazi, that's potentially a problem. So Heydrich goes after occultists. But many of the other uh, leaders who claim they don't like the occult, like Rosenberg or Himmler, actually just don't like people who practice it in a way that challenges their beliefs. The minute, by the way, this is the problem with, with a lot of religion, right? People argue that they have the true faith and the true method or, or path to the Lord, right? So what you see in the Third Reich, much like occultism more generally, is claims that they're doing it scientifically. Mm. They understand it. These other people are charlatans. And many historians, when they saw that superficially, who weren't particularly interested in research, say, oh, they're hostile to occultism. 
And I point out they're not hostile to it epistemologically. They're hostile to anyone who practices it in a way that isn't compatible with their racial ideas, their politics, their but propaganda. It, it, it actually worked to the West's advantage to some degree. Um, uh, the um, SS Obergruppenfuhrer Kamler who mm-hmm. was uh, it was really only known for uh, making the crematoriums in Auschwitz uh, more effective was the replacement for von Braun in the rocket science department. Uh, because if I'm not mistaken, wasn't it because of a, a horoscopes or astrology? Um, I, we can't confirm it's because of astrology. What we can confirm is that Himmler preferred to have SS men who shared some of his approaches to science and politics and race theory around him more than than tried and true professionals like right. von Braun. And that's why Speer, as you see in my chapter, the, the primary sources I have from the archives are Speer reminding all the other Nazi leaders, we aren't going to come up with miracle weapons that are going to decide the war. This is propaganda. And then you have Goebbels and Himmler and Kamler saying, oh, no, we can do this with, with enough will, with enough faith, if we harness the right energies. And, and clearly that tips over into the realm of border science very often. And it, it's, it's not empirical. It's, it's not something that's actually feasible. Towards the end, it seemed to really work to the West's advantage again. Uh, their race theory and their belief in these what you call border sciences. Um, uh, I was I was really interested in what you said that one of the reasons why we think that they weren't farther along with the nuke is because they saw that as a Jewish science. And so it was a little underplayed. And the border sciences, the miracle weapons were were looked at um, with possible equal uh, shot of it, it working. Do I have that right? Exactly. You have two parallel things going on. Obviously, they lose a lot of the best scientists who may have been quote-unquote liberal or Jewish, right? Many who stay are still top scientists. Heisenberg, Max Planck, right? Von Braun. But they're working in a pair. They're doing, they're, they're carrying out traditional science, mainstream science. And then you've got a lot of Nazis led by Himmler, who's got this whole institute, the Ananerba, the Institute for Ancestral Research, who's, who's frustrated that they don't want to work with his scientists, who are operating based on folklore and Indo-Aryan race theory and want to experiment with hidden electrical energies. And, I, and at, the one thing I'm certain of is that the incompatibility of those two cultures certainly undermine some of their strategic thinking. We know that Hitler and Himmler, because they read science fiction, liked the idea of rockets and, and you know, ships and jets and didn't think in terms of these more abstruse ideas like nuclear physics, which not only is something you can't concretely hold or build, but is something they associate with abstract thinking of Jews and, and liberals and communists. Thank, so, thank God. Thank God. But but in a way, um, now I didn't I can't quantify a lot of the things I bring up in the book as scholarly as it is, are things that someone else who's a specialist in these areas, armaments, military history, should really pursue and see to what degree this really did undermine their war effort. I suggest it did. Um, Speer suggests it does. But, um, you know, that that's a whole other line of research. Yeah. Uh, Eric, I, I could spend hours with you. I'd love to have you. I'd love to have you back because we haven't gotten into some of the miracle weapons and the bell, which uh, 
you know, the, the flying saucer and anti-gravity stuff that they supposedly were working on, but we're really not sure if they were. Exactly. Um, uh, I'd love to continue our conversation on that. I, I do want to switch gears because you wrote another book, which I have not read. Uh, it is your first book. And I, uh, let's see if I have it. Uh, uh, the Price of Exclusion, Ethnicity, National Identity, and the Decline of German Liberalism. Um, just based on the title, I have a feeling we would have a lot to learn from that in today's world. We, we would. And the second book, Living with Hitler, Liberals in the Third Reich, which um, I think you'd, you'd appreciate most of all. Uh, we, we have slightly different political views, but I think you'll find the arguments in that book about the way that progressives kind of sold out uh, to fascism, not because they were fascists, but because they saw certain continuities that, mm. that made accommodation possible. Um, I think I, you'd find that interesting. Eric, I don't, I don't want to turn you political, but if you had any historic um, uh, milestones that would be important, there's uh, CPAC announced that they are having uh, the National Front speak from France, which is a national socialist party. Um, and uh, and I, I think they're doing it um, because they'll say there's lots of things that we do have in common and we don't have to take that. And, and this is a big movement that is happening all around. And any any lessons from history? Well, this is and if anything unites the three books I've written, which have been written in a time when I would argue our liberal so-called liberal parties have moved to the right on socioeconomic issues and then in other ways embrace values issues, value fight, fights over values. And our right has done the same thing. Um, what you see happening is uh, an unwillingness for very we would might we could maybe both agree that it's the role of Wall Street and government elites who don't want to fight it out over the actual empirical realities of how do you get the best health care or the best tax policy. They fight it out over ideology and values. And those values have moved more and more towards a what I would argue the populist right. So how do you win elections in America and France and the Netherlands now? You claim you're going to protect people in ways that can never quite be explained from global forces, other ethnicities, religions, terrorism, economic forces that both parties used to embrace, right? Trade. Mm. Oh, those are dangerous. And this, of course, moves both parties, but obviously our right wing more than our, what I now call our center, towards what we used to call, what we now call the alt-right, but we used to call fascism. And that's very dangerous. That's, especially in America, you could always trust conservatives to defend the Constitution, to be at least classical liberals, right? And as you're pointing out, you can't always trust that anymore. And if our so-called liberals have to be the constitutional conservatives, we're in trouble, <laughs> right? They're the interventionists, right? They're the ones, the progressives, yeah, always the want to tear down the Constitution or change it. And now they're the ones defending the FBI and the Constitution. We have a constitutional crisis. We have a political cultural crisis. I think both traditional conservatives and so-called liberals or progressives could agree on this. And the lessons of history from the 20s and 30s are scary ones yes. about the way this the way this happens. Eric, I'd love to talk to you again. Um, thank you so much. And thank you for the really hard work. This, the, I mean, I've, I've read a lot of books and I don't think I've read one that I think took more hard work than this. This was turning over every stone and thank you for your hard work. Oh, one more last question. Would mm -hmm. you definitely, or would you definitively say the national socialist movement of Germany was not a Christian movement? 
Um, when you're talking about a country of 80 million people and 20 or 30 million who supported the Nazis, um, obviously lots of Christians saw something in Nazism, whether it was extreme nationalism, anti-Semitism, sure. um, Lutheran kind of patriotism. Sure. But when it comes to the leaders, and here's where I feel I'm on solid ground, those leaders were frustrated by traditional Christianity, which they linked to Judaism and to universalism and to um, a world beyond the here and now, which they saw as not helpful in creating a racial ancestor-worshipping blood and soil movement. That's why they liked Shinto and Hinduism and Buddhism, whether they interpreted those religions properly or not, they saw them as more compatible with creating a religion of the here and now. Eric, thank and, you. And so in that, I would, I would say they weren't, the leaders at least, were not Christians by any conventional sense of the word. No. Thank you very much, Eric. Hold on if you would. I'd like to talk to you a bit. Hitler's Monsters is the book, A Supernatural History to the Third Reich. Eric Kurlander is the artist. We're going to have him back on again. There's so much to go through in this. Oh, I mean, I want to talk to him about all the miracles stuff. The bell. Did you, you know what the bell is? Mm. It is, just look it up. Let's just look up Nazi bell. Uh, never heard of it. Never heard of it. Uh, and it's fascinating. Whether it happened or not, I don't know. Simply Safe, the home security company that uh, I've been working with since they had 10 employees, and I've watched them transform into the fastest growing home security company in the nation. They now protect over 2 million people. They just renewed, uh, re- uh, released their brand new home security system, the all new Simply Safe. The system has been completely rebuilt, completely redesigned. They've added new safeguards to protect against power outages and down Wi Fi and cut landlines, and they've, they've taken bats and hammers to it. It was redesigned to be practically indiv- uh, invisible with powerful sensors so small that you will hardly notice them, but they notice any intruder. And what's really remarkable is they have added so much and you still get the same fair and honest price. 24-7 protection for only $15 a month and there is no contract. Smaller, faster, stronger than anything they've built before. Supply is limited, so visit simplysafebeck.com right now to order. Just go to the website and see how much money you're going to save. They have a chart right on the front page that will blow your mind. Simplysafebeck.com. Protect your home, protect your family. Simplysafebeck.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. <laughs> so, what'd you think, Stu? I mean, it's fascinating. I, I'm a, as you are, and as, as several people around here are, uh, just real nerds when it comes to learning about that era because it's just fascinating that any of that happened. I, I mean, obviously, first and foremost, horrifying. Horrifying. But then beyond that, it's just the fact that these people somehow got power and did all this crazy crap with it is is just fascinating to me. We, we should we should bring him in and then invite people to come and just you know come and just listen to him. Maybe spend a weekend with him. Yes, I've done some research off of this book. Not not research, research, but just looking up some of the stuff. Oh, it gets that you he, googling all these books. Oh get you my googling. gosh! And it's <laughs> it's fascinating. You watch some of the movies from the early 1920s in Germany, and all of a sudden, so much just starts to make sense to you, and you're like, "Oh my gosh!" They never they never saw it coming. Hmm. They never saw it coming. So, uh, the name of the book, again, is Hitler's Monsters, available in bookstores everywhere.
Glenn Beck. Mercury. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. I don't care if they're all conservatives. 16-year-olds should never be allowed to vote. Yesterday, several on the left decided to use the protests by teenagers in Florida and Washington, D.C. as an opportunity to promote the idea that 16-year-olds should be allowed to vote. One law professor from the University of Kentucky tried to make a serious case in an article for CNN. The real adults in the room are the youth from Parkland, Florida, who are speaking out about their need for meaningful gun laws. They are proving that civic engagement among young people can make a difference. The ironic part. They can't vote. Well, now, I mean, does anybody else have a teenager living with them? Because they don't make a lot of good decisions. I'm just saying some of them are good. Some of them are not. Some of them are like, you know what? You know what? You need to slow down here and uh, and get some more experience. The protests from the devastated high school students of Parkland, Florida, are completely understandable. They're a visceral reaction to the worst kind of tragedy. We need to let them vent. We need to listen to them. We need to comfort them. They need the space to vent their grief and anger. The adult role right now should be to comfort and support and listen as they work through their trauma, not manipulate their trauma, not exploit their tears for political gain. What we're seeing this week is a gut level reaction from traumatized kids, traumatized people. It's not well-reasoned civic engagement. This is not well-reasoned civil engagement. This is somebody who has been traumatized going out and saying, this is what we need to do. Well, in our system of government, unlike many others, for instance, Iran, we don't let the victim's families choose the punishment. Why? Because emotions get in the way. America has a lot of smart teenagers. I have to tell you, I, 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 I believe in our future because of millennials and the teenagers. But many of the teenagers, you know, don't really know what civic engagement means. They don't know who their senator is. They don't know the three branches of government. They've not read the Constitution. Many of them uh, don't do their own laundry, and a few of them are eating Tide Pods. <laughs> Another law professor from Harvard said teens have a far better BS detector. That may be true, but we shouldn't give the 16-year-olds the right to vote. The professors make it seem as almost a 16-year-old voting right is being suppressed. The voting age wasn't lowered to 18 until the 26th Amendment was passed in 1971. The logic was if you're old enough to be drafted, you're old enough to vote. So is the criteria now that you're if you're old enough to carry a placard, you're old enough to vote? I mean, sorry, but at least in 1971, there was a logical reason for the age change. This is knee jerk reaction. Why is the left suddenly so interested in allowing 16 year olds to vote? Possibly because of the perfect untapped voting block. Progressives love an emotionally driven peer pressured voter who can be told what to believe rather than having the seasoning and the education to think the issues through. If they could make everything emotional, progressives would. 
Teens and college kids typically lean to the left until they get out into the real world, starting to make their own money, see how much of it is drained away in taxes. They finally realize, wait a minute, progressivism is the exact opposite of the freedom that it promises. It's Tuesday, February 20th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Amazing that they changed the voting age to 18 to, to because if you're old enough to get drafted, go to the military, well, then of course you should be able to vote. It's a totally sensible uh, idea. Although, you know, I know Pat will come in later today and tell us that the voting age should be 35. <laughs> uh, but on the other side of that, one of the things that these 16-year-olds are pushing for is that uh, you should not be able to own a firearm until you're 21. So you'd be able to get drafted to the military to use a firearm in the military, but not own one for your own protection at home. It's a fascinating thing to think about. Uh, and I don't think the right one. I, I, I don't think the right one. Again, we don't make, you know, 16-year-olds. How many, how many great decisions did you make as a 16-year-old? Well, me. I made, obviously, lots of great ones. But uh, most right. people don't. No, of course not. You don't, you don't, you're not seasoned enough. Uh, and you don't understand these issues enough. Be beyond that, like... If you're 50 years old, like let's, we've had, we've seen this before. Well, let's go to the 50 year old uh, parent or grandparent of one of these kids who was killed, and they'll come out with their gun, uh, their gun uh, solution for America. You don't make policy based on the victims of a tragedy. No, it's not. You don't. You don't become an expert in the topic because something terrible happened to you. I, for example, my dad died of a heart attack. I don't go to hospitals and tell them to do their heart surgery with spoons. Like that's not that's not i don't i don't have any extra right. credibility on the topic because i was involved in a tragedy in my family now you could take that tragedy and become a scholar on it right you could say i'm going to learn everything i can i'm just tired of having a discussion uh of the second amendment with people who do not know what a gun is they've never fired it they don't know they don't they've never been around it they've never been around people who are responsible gun owners I don't if you don't take the time to really learn what the gun is and can really talk to me about the truth of the Constitution, the Constitution, the Second Amendment was not about sporting. It wasn't. It was about people being able to take up arms against an out of control government. Now, you can say, well, that's they're never going to get out of control or, well, if they get out of control, they're just going to use tanks. Well, yes, but every single time there has been a dictator, the first time, first thing they do is take away all weapons from the people and then they slaughter them. Please give us a fighting chance. Yeah, as we pointed out, the mass shooting, everyone's like, oh, that was the worst, Vegas was the worst mass shooting in history. Uh, no, first of all, the worst mass shooting in that context was Norway. But beyond that, the top 100,000 mass shootings all came from governments against unarmed populace. You think there was a day that went by in World War II where the Nazis didn't kill 58 people? You think there was a day that went by where the communists didn't kill 58 people? Their own citizens. Yeah, their own citizens. This was a light day for all of these governments when there was no way to push back against them. And, you know, look, that is why it was designed. It's used, I think, for personal uh, protection as well as a massive, you know, that's a main reason for it now. Of course, hunting is part of it and all that is a part of it. But it's it's not about those individual things. It's about you being able to utilize that right in the way that you see fit without violating others' rights. 
Um, but, but again, I think when you talk about uh, gun knowledge, it is important. You can get into the weeds a little bit too much. Yeah. But I mean, listen to this. This comes from uh, the Statesman Journal. This is a letter to the editor that they decided to print. Every killer needs three things. An evil mindset, an opportunity, and the means to carry out their plan. Break that chain and you've stopped a killer. Mm. It's hard to know a person's ever-changing mindset. An opportunity is everywhere. That leaves means. Prevent future killings from obtaining an automatic weapon and you've stopped a mass killing. Yes, other weapons can kill too, but none are so deadly as an automatic rifle. (laughs) We know what doesn't work. Prayer doesn't work. It might make us feel better and make the survivors feel better, but it doesn't stop the next shooting. Blame the NRA doesn't work either. They don't pass any laws and can't regulate their industry. A good guy with a gun doesn't work. This Florida school had two on-duty police officers assigned to it, which is something else we should discuss. But banning automatic weapons, you will not stop any mass killings. Uh, And you will stop many mass killings, excuse me. And at the same time, you'll be protecting the most basic right our Constitution has to offer the right to life. Could I just point out a couple of things? Is there a minor issue? Oh, we have banned automatic weapons. Oh. Um, yeah. So. Again, it's hard to have a debate on this topic when the overwhelming majority of people discussing it don't have basic knowledge on the topic. That is a difficult thing to do. You don't need to know everything about a gun. No. You don't need to be a gun nerd to have these conversations. No, but you but have to have you a have to basic know the knowledge. You have to have, have a to know the basic basics. knowledge. And and quite honestly, you I think look, I can understand people who have never grown up around guns. I can understand it. I can understand that people who are afraid of guns because they never had any experiences with them mm-hmm. and they grew up, let's say even in a city where, you know, you grew up in New York. I understand that. Now, can you understand that every time you talk about a gun being something bad, I feel my grandfather. I, f- I remember holding his hand with his gun underneath his arm as we walked every night on the back of our farm. I mean, it, yeah. it, is, it was a feeling of, of safety and culture. There was no, we didn't have bad experiences with guns because we respected them. So it's part of the culture. It's not part of your culture. That's okay. But it is uniquely American, at least in the center of the country. And you can't just dismiss that. You can't. And it's, it's, it's amazing to watch cable news hosts be fascinated by the fact that, that we just can't do something. Every time there's another one of these attacks. And what do we do? We don't do anything. And they, they miss the basic separation of the way these two things are coming together. The reason you don't get, quote unquote, common sense, mill ground gun control. Because you're not going for it. it well, you, first of all, they're not going for it. And every conservative looks at that and is, reflexes immediately because they feel. The dog whistle. Yeah, they feel you're going after their guns. And, and many mm-hmm. times you've admitted that you are. Yes. Um, Eric Holder. Yeah, Australia. For example, every time we bring up the word Australia, what you're saying is you want to take 30% of the guns out of the country. Mm-hmm. So how do you think that a gun owner would feel about that? But the, the bottom line, the basic thing is, even on these minor things, progressives, liberals, the left, Look at guns as something that's inherently dangerous, and therefore, we should stop every person from getting one unless we're sure that they're going to use it safely. On the other side, the right, conservatives, libertarians, look at the, the at guns as constitutionally protected. Therefore, only if you're sure the person isn't going to use them uh, uh, safely, do we take them away with extreme mental health or, uh, you know, 
convictions uh, mm-hmm. over in the past and domestic violence and things like that. So that separation, there's a lot of middle ground between those two positions, but there's almost no room to compromise between them. You know, it's the idea of saying if one side of the argument is, look, people are innocent until proven guilty. And the other people on the other side are saying people are guilty until proven innocent. Well, there's a lot of middle ground between those two positions, but there's no place to compromise. There's not a innocent until proven innocent place in the middle that you can come together. Right. It doesn't make any sense. Those the, the positions don't work together. And of course, I fully 100 percent believe their conservative position is right. They are constitutionally protected and you can't just start grabbing them from everybody. No. That's why like, the, the, the example they always bring up is we couldn't even ban terrorists on the terrorist watch list from getting guns. That shows how irrational conservatives are. No, it shows that conservatives understand this is a constitutionally protected right. And just because someone has made a list with a name on it, without any due process, without any evidence being presented, without any tons and tons of mistakes, you can't take away a constitutionally protected right because of that. We would never do that with the First Amendment. We would never do that with any of these amendments. They're all too important to us, and we all understand them. The Second Amendment has just become this issue that the left throws around to get donations. And there are a lot of honest people who are on Facebook or on Twitter who are touting these things, like the NRA is donating money, and that's they're controlling the debate. There's been 18 school shootings. They're being used by the left leadership who don't want to do anything to protect these victims because they like this issue. They like the issue far too much. And obviously they don't want people to die. Nobody does. But they see this. They could take steps that are unrelated to gun control that the right would go along with. But they're in a period here where conservatives have, or at least the Republicans have, the, the House, the Senate, and the presidency. Your time to pass wide swaths of gun control was probably when you had all three of those and you didn't do it. Now you don't have any of them. You're not going to get that through right now. If you would focus on things that could actually help that you could work together, there would be a middle place there. It's just, you know, I I just it's just not about gun control. Well, because nobody is truly nobody is trying to help. Nobody's trying to solve this. Nobody is. It's depressing. It really is. It is. They're not trying to solve it. All they're trying to do is win. We lose once we decided we must win. And everybody's just trying to win. And I don't mean uh, win the Constitution. I mean you're just trying to win the next election. It doesn't yeah. matter. You just want verbal ammunition that you can spray the other side with when it comes election time. Volatility in the stock market, wild swings in Bitcoin, constant turmoil in Washington, and more importantly, uh, interest rates going up. Gold has just come off its best year since 2010. It's up 100 bucks since mid-December with lots of room to run. It is the safe haven. It has been for century. It performs well in times of great volatility, which we are in and headed for more of. If you've done well in, in speculating in cryptocurrency or the extended rise in the stock market, have you considered taking some of those earnings off to the side and, and hedge them properly with gold? Gold isn't an all-in strategy. You know, none of this stuff is. 
diversify, diversify, diversify. A smart long-term investment, especially with interest rates going up, is gold. As a reminder, Goldline is under new ownership with better pricing, but the same great service. And to help celebrate the Winter Olympics, Goldline is giving away the official license Team USA Olympic one-ounce silver round on your on your next purchase. This is uh, one troy ounce of silver uh, with the Olympic um, logos on both sides to commemorate this year's Winter Olympics. It's yours. All you have to do on your next purchase, they'll give it to you. Just call 866-GOLDLINE. 866-GOLDLINE. Call them now, 866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Yeah. Welcome to the uh, program. Let's uh, talk about a couple of things. First of all, can we lay off uh, Fergie, please? <laughs> Can Sindra, we please lay off? I'm with you on this. I she she sang she sang a, a it didn't work out. Okay, she sang the national anthem at the NBA All Star Game. She it didn't work out that well. She risked. Risk she tried big, something out. Win big, risk big, lose big. She lost big. We uh, you know I tweeted this morning uh, because I think she was genuine. She worked hard. She was not mocking it. She was no. just trying something yeah, that she, just didn't work. And as you know, as um, Edison said. You know, I haven't failed. I've just found, you know, one way the national anthem shouldn't be sung. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, a sultry, sort yeah. of sexy version. But again, like this. That's her. That's her. She tried to blend her own personal thing that she does all the time with a national anthem. That's not a great idea. Well, it's only I mean, because she it's, all, it's a song about war. Right. It, it's not real sexy. Again, it didn't work, but she doesn't need to be, you know, uh, you know, well, drawn and quartered, she does. <laughs> that's, I yeah. would say that's the a- attitude of the internet right it now. It really is. Like, again, she sang a, a, a version that didn't work out of the national anthem. Okay, we can acknowledge it wasn't but it's, great. It's, move not, on with our lives. it's not the same. She knew all of the lyrics. Yeah, that which is great. All the time. Yeah. She worked on it. And it wasn't Roseanne and, Barr. It wasn't Ro- Roseanne. She was not mocking it. Yeah. She just tried to do it in a way that didn't work. She had a statement that came out. She said, I've always been honored and proud to perform the national anthem and last night I was trying to do something special for the NBA. I'm a risk taker artistically, but yeah. clearly this rendition didn't strike the intended tone. She added, I love this country and honestly tried my best. Like, Can we leave her alone? Alright, let's leave her alone. I feel bad for her now. I do too. Uh, you know, I, and it's safe. Like Jennifer, I'll get this to Jennifer Lawrence as well. This is another one of these controversies on the internet right now. Jennifer Lawrence, the presentation of her story is she said she's going to retire from acting to save democracy. And obviously, that's ridiculous. Okay, so she's going to single-handedly save our right. democracy I by retiring. I saw that in quotes. Yeah. I saw that in quotes, and I'm like, there's no way she said that. <laughs> if she said that, right. she deserves to be hammered. Right. And okay. of course, now, what is the full context of this? What is Which it? is almost impossible to find in any of the stories about right. it. But the actual full context is she just did a movie, Red Sparrow, that's coming out soon. She says, I'm going to take the next year off. First of all, it's not retiring. People in Hollywood take a year off all the time, especially if you're an A-lister. To take a year off from acting is oh, not I a big deal Oh, I just made $20 million. Dollars. Right. I'm going to go spend some of it and have sex on a beach. Right, exactly. She, she's probably going to go on vacation in right. that year as well. Yes. But she also mentioned she's going to be working with an organization that's obviously probably very liberal, uh, trying to get young people engaged politically on a local level. Here's the actual quote. It doesn't have anything to do with partisan politics. Uh, Lawrence said of her involvement in the nonprofit organization. It's just anti-corruption and stuff, trying to pass state-by-state laws that help prevent corruption, fix our democracy. 
So that's that not, is not <laughs> her saying she's retiring to fix our democracy. It's not. It's not at all. It's so now disingenuous she, and dishonest. I just I like, and I feel like that's what the that's what we wind up doing on social media. It's just like taking. It, can you potentially sort of read it that way in the worst possible sense to make her look as dumb as possible? Well, yeah, but I mean, she's look. She's taking a year off. She's probably gonna go on vacation. She's probably gonna have sex with male models. She's probably gonna do all <laughs> sorts of stuff, and then she's gonna work with a charity too. It's not that big of a deal. Glenn Beck, Mercury. Loads of ammunition and a powerful AR-15. Assault rifles out of the hands of people. I want this to be the end of the Second Amendment. The latest school shooting has ignited the gun debate. Now more than ever, you need to know the facts. Get Control, exposing the truth about guns on Amazon and wherever books are sold. That is the definitive book uh, for all of the um, arguments that you're hearing now. Control available uh, on Amazon. Uh, let's let's talk about the Olympics here for a second. You remember the guy from Tonga? Pat Gray joins us. Remember the guy from Tonga that came in with his shirt off? Yep. Do you know the rest of that story? Because that's all that that's all that anybody talked about. Well, he I mean, he he takes his shirt off. He gets oiled up. He mm-hmm. comes out. All the women gawk at him and then they bring him on set and, and put their hands all over him and touch his, his pecs and his and back. That was perfectly and, fine. That was perfectly right, fine. Not objectified. Well, I know I, I see I, that Perfect. happens all the time when women, you know, come out in a bikini. Have you um, ever seen this happen once in your life? No, you, Pat, and men put their hands all put, over. Put it? their hands all. Now, no. certainly, women are objectified in media. There's no question about that. But have you ever seen a mainstream talk show? This has happened. This guy several times, where he walks out mainly on NBC. Yeah, I, I mean, a woman walks out in a bikini with no clothes on, and guys walk over and and she's all oiled up, and guys put their hands all over her because they like the way she feels. Have you ever seen that happen in Never. your life? Nope. Never. No, nope. I mean, I mean, it's and, ha- and we would reject it. The mm-hmm. only thing I could think of possibly where it may have happened. Was Jimmy Kimmel's old show? Maybe. No, he's too socially conscious. Mm. He's he's woke. woke. He is so woke. Now. So I love that uh, term. all right. So this guy. Here's everybody talked about. You know, oh look, he's got oil all over him. Nobody talked about. He finished out of thirty. I think he finished twenty six in cross country skiing. However, a he's from Tonga. No skiing in Tonga. <laughs> So he finished like 26th. Um, he was not last place. He trained on roller skates. He had only trained on the snow for the last three months. That's it. Wow. And he finished. The The last place finisher, finisher was Mexico. And when they interviewed him, he stayed and he waited for the others to cross. They were behind and he was cheering them on. And the camera caught him, and they said, you know, you came in 26, you're so excited. And he's like, yes, because I'm from Tonga. We don't even have snow, and (laughs) I could compete. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you can't make your dreams happen. I love that. It's a great story. That's a great story. story. That's a great story. Nobody's telling that story. Well, that's because it's interesting. I think we usually like that story, the Jamaican bobsled team. Uh-huh. Right, that's one we've liked yeah. uh, before. Remember the Nigerian they, bobsled team this year. Are they the same story? Yeah. Same type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the remember Eddie the Eagle? Yep, uh, was a big one. Do you remember yep. him from back in the day? He wasn't a very good ski jumper, not, um, but yeah, right. uh, maybe not as. Uh, as so here's here's graceful. one. Here's one, Pat. 
Stu and I can't make our mind up on if we like or not. Is this another Eddie the Eagle? All right. Okay. It's, it's, this is interesting. Elizabeth Sweeney. She's a skier. She is uh, not a very good skier, however. She, she started I mean, competing me, in, in, half, <laughs> in half pipe in 2013, and she was representing at the time Venezuela. She then switched to Hungary in 2016. Now she's moved to America. She represents the United States. Okay. Mm-hmm. She'll sleep with it. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> not a ton of competitors in women's half pipe skiing. Mm-hmm. Who would have thought? Mm-hmm. So she learned the rules of how you qualify for an Olympic team. Um, the International Ski Federation has uh, set up rules. And the two main requirements are consistently finishing in the top 30 in World Cup events and accumulating enough International Ski Federation points. So the two quirks to this are a lot of the big competitors go to certain big high-profile events for the World Cup and uh, they try to win. And and then they go to the other high-profile events. She, Elizabeth, decided she was going to go to every event. So even the little minor ones she went to to get more points, mm-hmm. right? Secondarily, she uh, went to a lot of events where there weren't 30 competitors. <laughs> so she consistently finished in the top 30 because there was only 25 people, okay? Mm-hmm. So she was smart enough to realize this. The other part of it is, is to make sure she got points... She didn't really try to do all the crazy tricks they do. She just made sure she didn't fall down. <laughs> so a lot of the people who were doing all the crazy skiing were falling and getting lower scores than her because she was just skating down or skiing down and not falling. <laughs> so she's on our Olympic ski she team. She made the Olympic team and she's Jeez. apparently not a very good skier in in the actual event. Uh the lowest qualifying score to move on was 72. <laughs> Uh, the third lowest score in the entire competition was 56. The second lowest score in the competition was 45. She scored a 31. <laughs> Apparently, she is not all that good at skiing. And so I think the interesting thing is if you're a skier who is good at skiing, it's really frustrating that this person without the ability to compete at Olympic level beat you. On the other side of it, I really admire the idea mm-hmm. that she looked at the rules and she said, you know what? I'm going to go to all the events, even the ones that people don't really attend. So there's only 12 people there. I'll finish 12th and I will score points because I won't fall down. And she did all of this for a consistent period of time, flying herself all over the world to do it. I, and she made the freaking Olympic I team. I actually great, don't have a problem with it. <laughs> I, I, I don't. Like it. I do I too. Mean, I'll bet the, her fellow skiers oh, are, hate her. Yeah. They, can't they have stand to hate that story. her. Uh, but there's another interesting story about the snowboarder who entered the, I think it was the women's super G. She won the gold medal. She's a snowboarder. She rarely has raced in in downhill, and she took a different track than everybody else because she didn't have the experience oh, everybody Super else G? had. She was amazing. She I won. saw it. Yeah, she won. She comes across the finish line. She's looking around like, Man, okay, well, it's, you know, I tried. Everybody's screaming and yelling, and she's like, <laughs> "What? What's going on? What I do wrong? That's what awesome. I do wrong? Yeah, for like you two won or three the minutes. Gold." It was amazing. She did. Wow. She beat amazing. her by like a hundredth of a point, right? Hundredth yeah. of a second. Yeah. Um. And she, when in an interview, she said, well, "I wasn't trying to win. I was yeah. just trying to do my best." <laughs> just, yeah. She didn't even. It's great. The, the network had broken away from the super G and and awarded the gold medal to somebody else. Yes, they said uh, it's, it's going to be. Yeah, it's going to be. Over. I think Norway or or um uh, uh Austria. It's one of those. And there were still. I think it was 
25 racers left yeah. to go she, down the and course? And she was the last one. And so they broke back in and went, something amazing just happened in the Super G. A woman who had no chance of winning. A woman who didn't even, wasn't trying to win. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to do her best. I thought that is it's the incredible. perfect oh, person awesome. to get the gold. Incredible. That's great. Yeah. That's great. I mean, I, yeah. I like some fun th- stories. Yeah. There's always good stories at the Olympics. Yeah. And they're all people that you don't know because you don't follow these sports at any other time. For, at least not in years. America. Yeah. I've learned more about curling than I ever me too. ever need to know. Me too. I yeah, mean, well, and, or and, wanted to know. Well, Somebody said to me yesterday, they said, have you noticed that they that they twist it just before they kind of cur- Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> and you saw the the Russian who tested positive for steroids. On curling. Yeah. You should be. In curling. You shouldn't be able to test positive, uh, you know, for no alcohol in your bloodstream. You should be drunk Mm -hmm. and curling. Yes. And still be able to win the gold. Yes. What do you do? What what, what do you need steroids for? So weird. (laughs) It does seem pretty. Super sweeping power? What, What is that about? I don't, I mean... It's pretty easy to push that rock down ice. Can I sw- um, can I switch gears here? It's for, ice. Let me switch gears on a couple of topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, one I know you want to cover. One I'd like to get your opinion. What do you think about uh, the national front? Uh, Is that bizarre. Inviting uh, Marianne Le Pen yeah. to so, CPAC. So she's speaking an hour after Mike Pence at CPAC. That's a prime position too. Jeez. So last yeah. year CPAC. Last year CPAC had Milo. This year. Right. They have Mar- yeah, right. uh, Marion Le Pen. I next year, I think it's going to be Richard Spencer. <laughs> We're lucky, or worse. Yeah, jeez. Yeah. Oh, Did you see the uh, back and forth tweeting between uh, Jonah Goldberg and Matt Schlapp? I, we heard I a little heard bit it got about ugly. it. Ugly. Pretty interesting uh, because I guess Matt Schlapp was initially responding to somebody named Reagan Battalion. Yeah. Uh, about about the yeah. speaking of Marion uh, Le Pen. And Schlapp tweeted, Reagan Battalion, I've come to respect you, but do your research. This is Marion, not her aunt. Marion is a classical liberal, a conservative. So Jonah Goldberg tweets, wow, this is fantastic news. I mean, if she's a classical liberal, she'll be announcing she's leaving the National Front, right? <laughs> that is a coup for CPAC. Congrats. <laughs> and then he writes uh seriously uh matt i'm psyched to learn that she's a classical liberal i've always known her economic policies were less statist than her grandfather's or mom's but i didn't know she was a disciple of bastiat i'd like to see uh the research you refer to though so schlapp writes hey jonah our biggest coup was getting your wife to join me on the trump train so he just completely ignored and changed the subject me on the trump train wow Wow. that's a that's a from far Matt. leap from. I mean, from just Matt. that. Yeah. Is we, we called Matt, wanted him on the show today. He's, he's yeah, not I'm guessing not. We have not yeah. heard yet, right? I don't yeah. think. I'll, I'll check in on that. See if there's an update. Well, it's all it's all super Trump people, right? I mean, super Trump supporters. No, 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 no. Isn't it? No, Ben Shapiro is going. Ben, oh, is he? Ben, Ben, is he speaking? He's speaking. Um, yep. He mm. he. I think he. It would be safe to say. Someone like Ben would have liked to known that Marine Le Pen was speaking, mm-hmm. you know, on the same stage. <laughs> but Marion, or Marion, yes, yes, that's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think by the, the way, uh, Marion is Grandpa's favorite. Wow. Yeah, Grandpa and Marion get along real well, and 
And remember, uh, the National Front said that they need a a new ally, not the United States, not the West, but Russia, right. France and Russia. And uh, Grandpa just recently said eh, the Holocaust was a minor detail of history. Well, mm-hmm. can we talk about what National Front is? It's it's French National Socialists. Yes. Or Nazis. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah so, no, they're not. Even no, they're if, not. I found out on Twitter today uh-huh. uh, that that's not true. That's not oh, true. you found that's that out true. on Twitter. A, yeah, okay. on Twitter today. All, right. all so of the national socialists are, are, are not Nazis. Nazis. They're not. No. no. Oh well, that's going to be a pleasant surprise as well to an awful lot of people. Uh, Mainly the been Nazis. on trial in Nuremberg. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, uh, Comforting. That's good news. Uh, yeah. And Open up the jail cells. To attempt to prevent to present wow. the defense here, because Matt you know, wasn't able to join us today, but to, they, I think they would say, okay, this is the widest net we can cast for people who would consider themselves right. Right? You've got everybody. Mm. You've got, I mean, they invited Gary Johnson as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like Gary Johnson ran for the Libertarian candidacy. Uh, he he is on. a statist as well, you could make yeah. the case. Oh, yeah. He, certainly for a Libertarian, I yes. think he is. Wow. Um, but, uh, but so you could say that. And I think you could say, you know, it is a right, they, they, it's a European right movement, right? And you could say. Which is a left wing movement here. But they do support some socially conservative positions. They're very against, you know, gay marriage, for example. Um, but yes, there, there were lots of things that, uh, right. I mean, I, as I'm, we I'm, talked right. about with Hitler last hour, uh, uh, you know, there were lots of things Christians could tie themselves to and say, you know, I, they make sense on this. Right. Yeah, but it's the rest of their policies you yeah. need to mm-hmm. stay away from. They're, they're very against illegal immigration, which many people in the audience are. They also want to cut legal immigration by 95 percent into the country some people i guess in our audience probably you know believe that as well but i mean it's not i wouldn't say it's a mainstream conservative belief are they for amnesty for the uh 1.8 million <laughs> i doubt that <laughs> no they're not that conservative okay. Oh, all right okay, okay. Uh, but by the way they want part of their platform is universal access uh and a guaranteed right to abortion should point that out yeah. uh, as for the socially conservative group yeah. coming to speak at CPAC. That's it's a, and a, a new European pack, except uh, this one's run, run by Russia. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, well, you get gonna, it out of Brussels. Well, yeah, but right Russia's our friend now, right? We oh, love Russia. Of course, oh, yeah. Russia's our friend. Okay, yeah, good. thanks. That should work out well. Jeez. All right, Pat Gray Unleashed coming up in just a little bit. Also, we should point out a couple things, uh, programming notes for The Blaze tonight. Pat will join us uh, on uh, the news and why it matters. At 5.30. At 5.30. And uh, at, before that, at 5 o'clock, is uh, the show, um, one of the week of shows we're doing on the real work that this audience has done and the, and the effects that they've had on real people across the world who are in the worst possible situations and have been saved from them. People don't realize that slavery exists and uh, and and real labor slaves exist. You're going to meet three women this week that I had conversations with that are in recovery now from this, and they are some of the most powerful women you have ever ever seen. You don't want to miss it tonight, five o'clock, followed by five thirty. The news and why it matters. Cyber criminals, when you thought they couldn't stoop any lower, they're after our infants now. Well, I mean, not after the infant. They're after the infant's social security number, your kid's uh, personal information. 
because identity thieves can buy the infant's information on the dark web and it has clean credit history and uh, nobody's looking. You know, the, the infant's like, I'm going to apply for a you know, loan for a car. It's not going to happen for a few years. So they can take out mortgages, credit cards. They can take government benefits. These crimes go undetected for a decade, decade and a half. And then once you and your kids uh, find it, it's too late, and it's a huge headache. So many threats connected uh, today in our world that are just because everything is connected. The new LifeLock identity theft protection is connected as well. Now they've connected with the power of Norton Security to help you protect against the threats of identity and threats against your devices. If there's a problem, the agents are going to work to fix it. And nobody can stop all cyber threats, prevent all identity thefts, or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But LifeLock with Norton Security can uncover the threats that everybody else is going to miss. LifeLock.com. Go there now. Save 10% if you use the promo code back at LifeLock.com or call 1-800-LIFELOCK. 1-800-LIFELOCK. Promo code back. Extra 10% off your first year. Promo code back at 1-800-LIFELOCK or LifeLock.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Hey, just so you know, things could be worse. Imagine if I got on the air today and said, by the way, the government has decided to change the alphabet again today. (laughs) Yeah, this is what happened in Kazakhstan. They had a new alphabet introduced last year, had 32 letters, but it had tons of apostrophes in it. And the apostrophes were supposed to denote distinct sounds. What happened was people got really pissed off, largely because it's really hard to get to the apostrophe on on your handheld device. So you're typing a message on your phone. You're constantly bringing up shift and going to the apostrophe. They've now reworked with less apostrophes, a new alphabet, and that will be going in. Un- Even though people have bought signs hey, with the old one. But big government is the solution. <laughs> what was this? Glenn Beck. Mercury.